hello everyone. It's great to see you all. You know, I don't recall in 21 years ever forgetting my microphone. <laughs> I'm having a good time. <laughs> We're so glad you're in worship today, and I welcome all of you from uh, all of our different congregations around the, the capital region. This has been quite a week in the news. The death toll has now reached 40 people from that Taiwanese jet that crashed into the Keelung River. There are, of course, another number of others who are severely injured. And I've been to Taipei. It's a wonderful, progressive Asian city. And uh, there are a lot of people who are hurting today because of that tragedy. Two students this past Wednesday were gunned down outside of a Maryland high school. It happened while a basketball game was going on inside, and thankfully, neither of these students was killed, but panic, uh, parents are in a panic because it once again uh, raises this question of security for their children, for the students. It's the latest in a series of school-related shootings. A lot of families in Maryland are in pain. Here more locally, the, the December 20 headline told the grisly story of the brutal murder of a five-year-old just days before Christmas on Thatcher Park Road. And the Knox community is still reeling from this tragedy. This past Tuesday, six people were killed as a fast-moving Metro North commuter train slammed into an SUV. Many families are left shattered with grief. I could go on and on. You know, there are a lot of people who are hurting. The newspapers are filled every day with disillusionment and disappointment and deep personal pain. And there's a whole host of people who have deep pains that others have long forgotten about. And yet, at times, things happen and those hurts fester again. I, I know many families in our church who are dealing with financial challenges or health issues or relational strife or dysfunction in their family. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. A wise old preacher once counseled, Preach to the hurting and you will never lack an audience. And I think he's absolutely right. If you're not hurting today, I hope you will be thankful. But I hope you'll also be sensitive. Because probably someone on your row right now in this worship service is deeply in pain over some personal issue. Well, my motive today is certainly not to get an audience my, my plan, my goal is to share the love, the hope of Jesus Christ with everyone who has a wounded heart. Pastor Justin Yim got us kicked off last weekend in this brand new series that we're calling Do Something. It was a wonderful start. And today I want to continue that. And my two main goals in this series are these, to introduce people to the greatest serving initiative that Grace Fellowship has ever undertaken 
It's called Grace in Action. You're going to hear more about that later in the message today. We're literally going to pause and take a few minutes and just talk about it. And it's a way that we can do something. Because in this series, we're trying to learn from Jesus who did something to make a difference in people's lives. And so we're looking to learn from him. But my second goal, I dare say, is even grander than that. I'm going to pray that in this series, God would teach us to let Jesus be our model for life and ministry. That we would actually learn to do something about the people that God puts in our lives day by day, week after week. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Dear brothers and sisters, I hope you can hear this. To the degree that we live like Jesus lived, to the degree that we love like Jesus loved, to that degree and no more will people see God in us. Now more than ever, in a culture like this, in a day like ours, we must let Jesus be our model. He must be our main model for how to do ministry and how to show God's love to a broken and hurting world. So, with that as sort of a foundation, I invite you now to go on this journey with your Bible open. If you have one with you, you can follow along on the screens as well. Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 11. And I want you to see here just one example, and each week we'll look at a new one. One example of how Jesus did something to comfort hurting people, to help them in their need. He did something to make a difference. And I want us to learn how we can do the same. First of all, I want you to see a woman in deep pain. Pick it up in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now this woman was in deep anguish. She was a widow to begin with. That means she had already, some time before, we don't know when, maybe months before, maybe years, but she had buried her husband. She had had all the distress and loneliness from that, and now her son dies. Jesus later refers to him as a young man. This was a horrific tragedy. My guess is he was probably a teenager. And so now, to compound her grief, her only son is dead. Now, in the Jewish world of this time, they buried their dead within 24 hours. There was no waiting. They did not practice embalming as the Egyptians and some other cultures did. So think about it. Within one day, this woman's life has caved in. She's now all alone in an era when there is no government assistance to help. She has this empty void in her life because her son was dead. Now, I've not experienced it, thankfully. But through my experience in ministry and watching many families who have, I would guess there may be no greater pain in life 
than the death of a child. It's just not the natural order of things. You, you never think your children are going to die before you. And, and, and let's face it, there's this unique bond that exists between parents and children. I mean, if you don't believe me, just go watch any young family on a playground. Watch these young parents, so proud of their little toddler, their little child. They put him or her on the merry-go-round. Maybe it's the child's first time. And, and the merry-go-round goes around, and they've got the cameras going. They've got the video you know, going. And every child comes around and waves, and the parents wave back. And then two seconds later, a child comes around again, and the parents waving. It's like they haven't seen them in a while or something. There's this unique bond that exists. When our children were small, I would go to these little school plays, these little programs in school, sometimes sit for an hour, two hours, just for this one little moment of see your child on the stage. Why do we do that? Are we insane? No, we love our children, and there's this bond there. <coughs> it's unbelievable. There's nothing else like it. I read about a mother who was surprised when her seven-year-old made her a cup of coffee in the morning, and she drank the coffee. She said it was the worst cup of coffee I've ever had in my life. And at the bottom of the cup, when she got to the bottom, there were these three little green army men in the bottom <laughs> of her cup and she said son what are these men doing in my cup he said mom it's just like it says on tv the best part of waking up is soldiers in your cup <laughs> see we we do things for our kids we wouldn't do for anyone else and that builds this bond of love and that's what it makes it so tough when that bond is broken the longest novel I've ever read is War and Peace. I highly recommend it. It's a great novel, but you better get ready for a long read. Leo Tolstoy, one of the things he says in there, it's not so much what others do for us that makes us love them, but what we do for them. And he's absolutely right. In other words, we tend to really love those that we've sacrificed for, those that we've invested in. Those are the ones that we love the most. And so here this woman in the Bible is just like us. She sat up late at night when her son was sick. She has sewn his clothes. She has gone to his programs in the synagogue. She has kept food warmed for him when he was late coming home. And now, all of a sudden, he died. Can I... Can I remind you of something that tends to happen whenever we're deeply hurting? Other people don't necessarily get it. I mean, think about what happened this day. Luke describes two separate crowds that meet each other. One is going out of the city. The other is coming in the city. One is a funeral procession. The other is a festive celebration. Those in the funeral procession are grief-stricken and sad. Those in the group with Jesus are happy, exuberant. They're celebrating this miracle worker has come to their little town of Nain. And can I tell you something? 
When you hurt deeply, you're going to encounter others who are laughing and happy and enjoying life, and they're oblivious to your needs, and you may even battle envy or resentment. Here's a young mother who has a miscarriage, and she's deeply depressed over that. But just a few days later, unknowingly, one of her friends will brag about the cutest little thing that her little baby did the other day. And that young grieving mother feels alone and maybe even resentful. Or you're riding in your family car in a funeral procession. And you look and you see construction workers that are still working and building that building. Children still playing on a playground, laughing, having a great time. Or maybe someone zips around the funeral procession to get to an appointment. And it hits you. Wow, life's going to go on without my loved one. Others don't experience your pain at all. Even your friends at a funeral, they may grieve with you there, but an hour later, they're going to be at some reception laughing, talking about the game, and eating potato salad. That's just the truth. And this woman, in the midst of her hurt, even though she has friends, she needs the compassion of Jesus Christ. And you and I need him too. Well, I want you to see next in verse 13, Jesus' compassion for her. And this is where we begin to learn how God wants us to be with those around us. Jesus' compassion. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Now, that little phrase... His heart went out to her is a Greek word, splachnois is the root word. It it literally means the innards. It's a word that doesn't just refer to the heart. Cardia is the Greek word for heart. It's not the word. it's, It's a reference to his deep compassion inside. And over and over again, Scripture says Jesus was moved with compassion over some hurting person. And that's exactly what's going on here. And he wants us to have that same kind of compassion for the hurting people around us. Now, we're going to return to this exciting Bible story in just a few minutes. And we're going to finish it up and wrap it up and take some lessons away. But right now, I want you to look at this brochure that you received when you came in. At all of our locations, I'd like for you to take this in your hand. And while you're getting this out, You maybe got this in your bulletin or as you came in. And if you don't have one, listen, all you need to do is just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up if you don't have one of these. And one of our amazing ushers at all of our sites will get one of these to you. Because I'd honestly love for you to have this in your hand as I describe what it's about. Okay? So, if you don't have one, just slip your hand up. And while our ushers are helping you with that, I'm going to go ahead and describe to you what this is about. Almost three years ago, April of 2012, we did a Reveal Spiritual Life survey. Almost 900 of us took that. And we went online and we filled out a lengthy survey about our lives. And one of the shocking revelations from that has caused us to come to this moment today. Now, there were many great things that were revealed We found out that we're a church that loves God's word and we're committed to God's word. We have so many positive, healthy things about our church. In fact, we did great on the survey overall. 
there was one shocking thing that deeply disturbed me. We discovered in that survey that only 17% of us are serving those in need through our church. 17%, that's it. That was way below the averages of all the other churches that have taken this. I, I, was, I was stunned. I was so disturbed by that. We began to pray. We began to go to God and say, God, that, that just shouldn't be. You've called us to not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives just as you gave yours. And so what can we do about that? And so I asked one of our most gifted and trusted leaders, Bill Minchin, who's our pastor of business administration, to pilot a project that we're praying God will use to literally change the culture of our church. And we're calling it Grace in Action. That's the title that we've given to this initiative. This is the most extensive serving initiative by far that we have ever undertaken as a church. The idea behind this is that good deeds that we do in Jesus' name are going to lead to goodwill, build a great rapport with people that we're serving, and that will give us the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. Because let's be crystal clear right up front, if we feed people bread, that's awesome, and that's worthwhile to do no matter what happens. Everybody hear that? But if we feed people bread and we aren't able ultimately by God's grace to feed them the bread of life, then ultimately we've not really fed them the bread that's going to stay with them for eternity. We've not given them the ultimate help that they need. And so the bottom line of this is we want everybody to know Jesus loves them. We know that. But we want everybody else to know that, and we want them to know that because Jesus' followers are showing such amazing love for them. So I want you to look at the front of this brochure where it says grace in action. Everybody see that? This is side number one, and there are two parts to this, the front part and the back part, and the front part is project one. Let me explain to it and how you can get involved. We now have 20 or more partners. We're calling them partners throughout the area. Some of these are faith-based partners. Some of them are non-faith-based partners. And I personally am even more excited about the non-faith-based partners we have. Because Jesus has not called us, as I've reminded you for 20-something years, to stay in our little holy huddle and be nice and comfortable. Jesus has called us to be in the world. Salt and light in the world. Making a difference. And I know that's risky, but he's given us the power we need to do that. So I'm excited about all of our partners, especially many of our non-faith-based partners. They're doing some good things out there. Because we want to represent Jesus well to everyone, right? And so listed here are about 13 of those. These aren't all of them. But these are like 13 of our partners that we're partnering with to try to make a difference, to do something for hurting people. And these 13 partners have opened up 53 projects that we can get involved in just in the month of March. We're going to do that on four different days. You see them listed there, March 6 and 7 and March 13 and 14. That's two Fridays and two Saturdays. Those are the days that we're going to go and serve and do something. You say, well, pastor, how does this work? Here's how it works. It's so simple. You just sign up 
and then you show up when your day comes to serve. Everybody get that? You just sign up online, and then you show up when your day comes to serve. So uh, some of you who've got your smartphones with you or your iPad, or so you can sign up before you leave here today. The sermon gets really dull later. You can just sign up right there and say, at least something good came out of this, right? Amen? And so you go to our website, and when you see the frame or the banner that says church serving opportunities, I think are the words, you just click on that, and it will immediately take you to the Sign Up Genius program, and you can just sign up for the day you want. You'll see more information about what it is. You can sign up for a particular day, and then a leader will call you and give you more encouraging information and answer any questions you may have. It's incredibly simple. We have 700 serving opportunities, 53 projects, 13 partners, 700 of us can do something regarding this to make a difference. Now, this is just a start. We're just kicking it off. This is going to go on and on and on and on and on, we hope, till Jesus comes. All right, But this is just the kickoff, and I'm so excited because God can use us to really, really make a difference. Now, I can almost hear angels singing, as you turn this over, would you turn, can you hear them singing? Can you hear the angels singing as you turn it over? Because this is project number two. Project number one is serving opportunities, March 6, 7, 13, 14. Sign up, get involved, sign up and show up. And project two involves more than 700 of us. It involves every single one of us because here's what project two is all about. It's a food drive where for the next three weekends, starting next weekend, Every man, woman, and child that comes to worship at any Grace Fellowship campus, our goal is that we would bring at least one food item or one of these personal hygiene items that you see here, and we're going to collect them in the lobby. We're literally going to count this. It's going to be incredible at all of our sites, and we're going to see how big of an impact God could make through God's people. Now, I don't know about you, but when we first got the idea of a food drive, I thought, you got to be kidding. We, I mean, I know there's some food pantries around, and, but there's not really any poverty in the Capital District, is there? I mean, really? Bo boy, have I gotten an education. Listen, folks, of the four counties that we primarily serve, I realize we have people who come from far beyond these counties, but Saratoga, Schenectady, Albany, and Rensselaer, there's a total population in those four counties of about 850,000 people. Would you believe it if I told you that 10% of those people live at the poverty level or below? It's actually 11.2% to be exact, but we just put 10 so you wouldn't think I was exaggerating anything, okay? 11.2% poverty rate or below. You say, now what does that mean? I don't see any emaciated bodies around. I don't see any skeletal figures on the street. Maybe you don't. But many of these people live with what you might call food insecurity. They don't know exactly where their next meal is going to come from or when it's going to come. Kids kind of like one of our partners, Captain Youth and Family Services in Clifton Park, they have a summer program where a young nine-year-old man named Charles would always show up early. He's always the first in line 
He'd always go frequently to the table that gave out extra snacks and veggies and, and, and so on. And, and Monday was even more unusual because Charles would not only get his lunch and eat it, but then he would politely wait around until every other child had been served. And then he would go up and ask if he could have another lunch. And so when the workers began to inquire, Charles said, I don't eat on the weekends. And so I'm really hungry on Monday. There's a lot of kids. There's a lot of people like that. Not all 10% are in that kind of dire straits, but there's a lot of poverty in this area. Now, you may wonder, how, how many is 85,000 people? Because that's what 10% of this would be. Well, let me help you understand how many that is. Many of you watch the Super Bowl, right? Some of you are still in pain over that. Others of you are still celebrating. I get it. What an unusual ending to a game. The University of Phoenix Stadium, where that game was played, seats exactly 63,400 people. That's not as many as live in poverty in the capital region. If you filled the whole stadium with them, there'd be a lot more left over. So let's add to that the Times Union Center, which when packed to the gills with floors, seats on the floor, may seat 17,500. But you still don't have all the people who live in poverty. If you add to that, the Houston Fieldhouse over at RPI, which seats 4,780, you've got a little bit more now than 85,000. That's how many people live in poverty. We're looking to make a difference. That's all. Now, we're not trying to start our own food pantries. You know why? Because there's so many other people doing that so well. Why would we want to try to take that away from them? Rather, we're going to fill their pantries so they can do their job even better. That's what we're doing in this driving. We're going to fill the pantries of 10 of our partners, all right? One food item per person. Now, some of you may choose to do far more than that like the Manella family in Clifton Park who got their kids involved recently just as a pilot with Captain Youth and Family Services. And they went out in their van, got out as a family, children, mom and dad, knocked on the door, explained what they were doing. Hey, would you have any non-perishable food items you could share with us? We're going to donate them to the Captain Youth and Family uh, Services. And people gave. And after two or three houses, Matt and Joan Ann's children, they go to our Half Moon campus, by the way. Their kids said, Mom and Dad, we got this. You can just stay in the van. We'll knock on the doors. And they did. These kids are brilliant. In two hours' time, at about 30 homes in their neighborhood, they collected 140 items that were donated to Captain Youth and Family Services. I want to hire those kids. That's brilliant. And some of you may choose to that. Many of you may choose to get your office involved or your corporation involved somewhere. That's awesome. But we just want to fill the pantries of these agencies. And so every weekend, for the next three weekends only, we're going to bring stuff. And by the way, notice one of those is Grace Fellowship. There are 10 partners over here. You say, well, that's kind of strange. Why is grace on there? Here's the reason. We realize that many of you are in financial distress, and you could use this too. And so if you go online to the banner on our website that says food, you can sign up there, and you know who you are. Those of you who are really in need, you can sign up, and you can receive in the month of March a food care package. 
No financial donations to this, please. We, we want you to do something tangible. We want you to get involved, not just throw money at it. We want you to feel compassion of Jesus. So there it is. That's all I'm going to say today, but you're going to hear a little bit more every weekend about this exciting opportunity. I would wish we could fill those 700 spots that are project number one in the first week. That would be amazing if we could just fill all of those. But then every week we're going to bring these items to church and fill the pantries and meet the needs of a lot of the poverty-stricken people around our area. Folks, I'm excited about this. And it's an opportunity for us to do something and really make a difference because good deeds translate into goodwill, which translate into the opportunity to share good news which is really, really good. So let's get back now to our Bible story. Jesus showed compassion for this woman. His heart went out to her. And I want to say to you today, those of you who are deeply hurting, Jesus has compassion for you too. He sees every tear that you've cried. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 56, record my lament, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? That suggests that God keeps a record of our tears. Parents, you know how it is when you see those tears pooling up in the eyes of your child. You want to wipe those tears away and draw them close. But you know what? Because you're a wise and truly loving parent, you don't try to remove every cause of that hurt. If you did, you'd never let them go out for football or gymnastics. If you did, you'd never let them learn to ride a bicycle. If you did, you'd certainly never let them date. But because you're wise, you know that some pain is a part of the growing process. And I would say to you today, if you're hurting and you're listening to me right now, listen, don't push Jesus away. Now's the time more than ever to draw close. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But quickly now, I want you to see the spectacular miracle that Jesus performed. Verse 14. Then he went up and touched the coffin. Now this was more like a stretcher, what we think of as a stretcher than a coffin. That's what the coffins were like then. And those carrying it stood still. It's kind of funny. When you study Jesus and funerals, Jesus kind of interrupted and wrecked every funeral he ever attended. All right? It's just kind of interesting. <coughs> and he commanded respect here. So the coffin stood still. The, uh, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. Uh, just a little footnote. When you study the story of the three people Jesus raised from this, kind of interesting whether you're talking about Jairus' daughter, who was 12 years old, that Jesus raised, or Lazarus, his friend that he raised from the dead, who'd been dead for four days, or whether you're talking about this young man, in each case, Jesus addressed them personally. Talitha kum, he said to Jairus' daughter, Jairus daughter, little girl, I say to you, get up. He stood outside of the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. The Greek word means get up. 
the dead man came out bound in the grave clothing. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And then here, again, he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And verse 15 reads, the dead man sat up and began to walk. I wonder what he said first. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? I mean, if he's a teenager, I'll, I'll guarantee you the first thing he said is, Mom, I'm hungry. Is there any peanut butter and jelly sandwiches around here? Maybe he said, why are all these people gawking at me? Maybe he said, Mom, why are you crying? And I just love verse 15. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And Jesus gave him back. Listen. To his mother. You know what that does for me? That's a foretaste of what Jesus is going to do for those of us who've lost loved ones in Christ and we're going to be reunited with them someday soon. You know, I, I don't recall being away from my wife and children for over about a week at a time. Many times it's been about a week, but I don't recall anything longer than that. And I remember so many times, they're etched in my mind flying back in on a plane, back into Albany. And before the days of 9-11 especially, you know, when there were not all these security concerns and, and families and friends could come right up to the gate. You remember those days and be waiting for you inside the terminal there? So many times. And I would walk through that tunnel, that exit ramp off of the plane, and finally glimpsed the end of the tunnel and there would be Deb and Allie and Chase smiling, waving, welcoming me home and we'd be, that was just after a week and we would hug and kiss and it was a great celebration. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus reunites you, when you go through that tunnel of death and you enter heaven and Jesus gives you back to your loved ones. Some of them have been gone a few days, some of them a few months. Maybe your loved one has been dead for 30 or 40 years, but you're going to be reunited with your loved ones who've died in Christ. What a day that will be. Well, the final thing I want us to see here today is the crowd's exciting reaction to all this. This is really great. Verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. Why? They had heard the stories about Elijah and Elisha raising people from the dead, but they'd never seen it. Here it was. They had seen it with their own eyes, and they were stunned. You bet they praised God. And they said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Now, they didn't yet understand fully who Jesus was. They didn't know yet that he was much more than a prophet, that he was actually God in flesh. But some of them would later come to realize that. They were just happy. They were just thrilled that God had come to visit them and help them in their trials. And the final verse I want us to see is verse 17. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Notice that phrase, the news about Jesus spread. Folks, can I tell you what's going to happen in this Do Something series? As you 
God's people get literally unleashed, as you get turned loose to go do something with the love of Jesus to people who are hurting, can I tell you what's going to happen? The news about Jesus is going to spread. Because good deeds lead to goodwill, which leads to an opportunity to share the life-changing good news. And that's what we're all about. Folks, that excites me. Because there's a lot of hurting people today just like there was back then. Now, as we wrap up today, some of you may say, well, Pastor Rex, you started this sermon by saying that Jesus is our model for ministry. We need to love like he loved and live like he lived. So are we going to be raising the dead? <coughs> I don't know. But wouldn't that be cool? Can I tell you something? If Jesus leads you to pray in that way, I say go for it. But do you know the problem with that? The problem with that, well, it would be an awesome miracle. This young man that Jesus raised eventually died again. Are you listening now more than ever? Brothers and sisters, we want to relieve all the human suffering we can. But more than anything else, we want to introduce people to the one who can heal them body, soul, and spirit forever. We want to introduce them to the one who alone can forgive all their sins and adopt them into his family and literally begin to change them from the inside out. I invite you to get involved with Jesus and do something to make a difference with the hurting people around you. Father, thank you for this exciting challenge. Jesus is our model and help us in these days more than ever to embrace him and live like he lived and love like he loved. And may people know that you love them because it's pretty obvious that we love them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.